service. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey, guys. Excited to get into this pre-party bonus episode, this little mini episode for you guys to start off the week. Uh, just heads up, over in the Badlands feed this week, we've got an episode on Alex Rocco. Uh, you may recognize that name. That is the actor who played Mo Green from The Godfather. A crazy mob story, uh, Boston mob story that you're not going to want to miss. So check that out. And uh, in the Disgrace and Feed, as I'm about to get into in a couple minutes, we get our final two episodes from the Wu-Tang Saga on Mastakilla and the Jizza. Mentioned this in Rap Party, uh, the Badlands feed, and in the After Party episode last week. If you're wondering why the fuck I sound like I'm uh, in the middle of a reverb tank right now, because I kind of am. I'm in a makeshift studio in my new house. I'm in a closet. I got super high ceilings here. And uh, I got no, I got no baffle. I got one baffle. I have two other baffles. I've yet to set them up, and I haven't really done any sort of acoustical management, as uh, you might put it. But I will. I shall. It's coming. The cavalry is coming. There's a build-out happening. We're going to do a little mini studio, temporary mini studio. We'll be back to sounding all nice and sweet, the sweet sounds of Disgraceland that you've come to know and love here in the bonus episodes. And then we'll have our final studio, our newest studio built on a couple months. But in the meantime, we'll have a temporary solution. You will not be able to tell the difference. But I didn't want to stop cranking out the bonus episodes. I figured, hey, you get a little DIY punk rock version of it me in the basement style, who gives a shit, right? Good morning and happy Monday, Discos. Welcome to our weekly advance mini episode, the first communique of the week between you and yours truly, the place for us to set the table for everything that we're going to be discussing and listening to this week, specifically this week's release. Two new episodes coming at you tomorrow, a brand new episode on Mastakilla, followed by a new episode, the final episode of our Wu-Tang season on the Jizza dropping on Thursday, as well as any and all music news relevant to Disgraceland and its many subjects. And of course, this is where we start the conversation that we continue over voicemail, text, social media, and in our Thursday bonus episodes. All right, this week's subject, let's get into it, all right? We've come to the end. This is the end. We are coming to the end of our first serialized season ever of Disgraceland our 10-episode deep dive into Wu-Tang Clan. 
tomorrow, Tuesday, episode nine, all about Mass Killa. And then on Thursday of this week, the final episode, episode 10 on the genius, aka the Jizza. And listen, True to form for this season, we are finishing out in dramatic fashion. First, in the Mass Tequila episode, we get into the world of organized crime, a subject that is near and dear to our hearts, specifically organized crime in New York City and Staten Island, specifically the world of the Gambino family, the assassination of Paul Castellano, acting boss, undertaken, of course, by a young capo by the name of, you may have heard of this guy before, John Gotti. And then in the Jizza episode, we wrap things up with the story of Martin Shkreli. I never quite know how to pronounce this dude's name. You know who I'm talking about, the so-called pharma bro who notoriously bought Wu-Tang's one-of-a-kind album for a ridiculous amount of money and then proceeded to try and humiliate and outwit them, much to his chagrin and uh, much to the delight of most others. All right, the number one songs from our two episodes this week are Burn by Usher from 2004. And Hello by Adele from 2015. I can't believe that song is that old. Uh, almost 10 years old. The number one song in America as of the writing of this episode is, you guessed it, Doja Cat's Paint the Town Red at the top spot for the second week in a row in its third week at the top in total. All right, let's get into some engagement here. Let's hear what you guys have to say. Let's do some emails. Over in the Badlands feed, we were talking about bad guys. You know, we're always talking about bad guys here in the Disgraceland feed as, as well. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to service this one here from Rob0013, who writes in, The baddest bad guy of all time for me is Anton Shigur, played by Javier Bardem in the McCarthy film No Country for Old Men. It's actually Cormac McCarthy book, I believe, and a Coen Brothers film. Dude was flat out scary in the coin toss scene as an all-time brush with death scene. Love all your projects. Thanks, Rob. R13, appreciate that, dude. Yes, and I read that again because I like when we get consensus, and we've certainly received a ton of messages, emails, texts, voicemails on the Javier Bardem character from No Country for Old Men. We're going to put that one to bed just as we put the Coen Brothers conversation to bed last week in the rap party. Mike Nordozi writes in, Nebraska, new shit has come to light, <laughs> which is, of course, a Coen Brothers reference from the Big Lebowski. Mike Nordzi in email writes, hey, Jake, this is Mike from the 732, which also happens to be Bruce Springsteen's area code. And we went to the same elementary school, St. Rose in Freehold, New Jersey, 30 years apart, but I digress. Uh, Mike goes on to say, wanted to reach out to a fellow obsessive with some musical dots I've connected regarding the Nebraska album and some previously unmentioned possible influences. While listening to Lou Reed's 1973 masterpiece, Berlin, it occurred to me that the acoustic outro on Oh Jim sounds like the sonic blueprint for Nebraska. The abrupt dynamics on this acoustic guitar, the rockabilly echo, the subtle Elvis impression, and the way that the vocals are recorded, it sounds like Lou is sitting next to you. It conjures that same dark intimacy as Nebraska. Bruce's rockabilly influence on Nebraska often gets traced back to Suicide, Ghost Rider, Frankie Teardrop, etc. But to me, the Lou connection is way more evident. They also dug each other. Lou shouts out Springsteen on the live Walk on the Wild Side from Take No Prisoners. Yes, he does. You beat me to it here. Mike, I was going to mention that. I was going to try and sound smart, but you beat me to it because you're smarter than I am. Uh, you go on to quote Lou here directly from the Take No Prisoners live album to say, Springsteen is all right, by the way, I think he's groovy. And Bruce does an uncredited spoken word cameo on the Lou track Street Hassle. Wow, that's a lot. That is a lot. The new shit has come to light. You're absolutely right, Mike. 
I don't even know where to start, where, where to start to answer that. I do think that Lou was, I'm sorry, that Bruce was indeed influenced by Lou Reed and perhaps that kernel, that little corner of Berlin gave Bruce a jumping off point for Nebraska. Perhaps, I'm not saying I totally agree with you, but I like the connection here. And yes, you are a fellow obsessive. I think I like that even more. Black Coffee Melody writes in, Hey, Jake, this is Mary from the 216. I remember back in 1990, I was an impressionable little sister of a much cooler older brother. My brother played in a metal band, wore a leather jacket, and had long hair. One day, he was downstairs with his friends when they popped in a VHS tape and hit play, and I spied on them as an 11-year-old would. And then I heard it, the opening to what I would later learn as The Missing from Ministry's live album in case he didn't feel like showing up. Holy shit. I was mesmerized and no longer wanted to listen to Madonna and Tiffany. Oh, come on. I think we're alone now by Tiffany. Some good shit. I wanted to be like my brother and his friends. I wanted to be a metalhead. I'll be 44 on October 17th. And Ministry is still one of my favorite bands. My brother and I just wrapped up the Sibling Summer Concert Series 2023, where we went to over a dozen shows together. Thanks for the great content. I'm loving the Wu-Tang saga. Rock and roll Mary and her cool older brother. And then there's a picture of Mary and her older brother sitting in some seats at a concert somewhere this summer, somewhere I can only imagine. Love that email. Thanks for the music discovery story. I am here for it. Appreciate it. Let's see. Let's do a couple more here. Okay. Pete writes in subject line says Elvis gone punk. Good day, Jake. Pete from Australia here, going through Facebook and thought you were doing a show in Queensland for a minute. Then I realized it was a cover band, thought you might be interested. Have never been to Australia. Someday, I had a tour offer there early on, and uh, I was about to do it, but I did not. Maybe I'll come back someday, or maybe I'll go for the first time someday, I should say. Last one, I know I said I was going to do one more before. This is the last one. Victoria Sellers writes in, subject Shante, message. Coming from the 404 here in Atlanta, I actually was watching Django and a commercial came on and I was briefly introduced to Roxanne Shante. And apparently there's a lot of music and shenanigans there. I thought she might make it onto a list. If you've already covered her, can you point me in the right direction? Rockarola from Vic. Vic, Victoria, I have not. I don't even know who you're talking about, but I feel like I should. I feel dumb. But thanks for uh, hipping me here to Shantae. Let me check this out. All right, let's shift some gears, get into some Disgraceland subject history. On October 17th, back in 1972, Chuck Berry, the man who some would argue invented rock and roll. I might be one of those people who would argue that. I have argued that, in fact. Argued it in my book pretty convincingly, I think. Or perhaps you might take a looser take on Chuck Berry and just say that he helped crystallize what rock and roll could be. Or perhaps you think Chuck Berry is just a big fucking perv. Either way, Chuck Berry, on October 17th, 1972, went to number one with his novelty song, My Ding-A-Ling, which is pretty fucking ironic when you think about it, when you think of all the bad shit Chuck Berry got up to. Chuck had a handful of number one songs on the R&B chart, but this is the only time that he made it to the number one on the pop chart. Hear all about how Chuck Berry was a complex character, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, and how influential he was back in season six of Disgraceland. Also dedicated a whole chapter to him in my book. Okay, as well, October 17th, again on October 17th, but this time in 1988, the debut album, Volume One, by the supergroup, The Traveling Wilburys, was released. And this, of course, is the group featuring Tom Petty, George Harrison, Bob Dylan, Roy Orbison, and Jeff Lynne. Classic record. Songs like End of the Line, Handle with Care. You know these songs are on classic radio right now somewhere. Funny thing about this record and this collaboration, though, when this happened back in 88, 
these guys were elder statesmen of the rock world, especially through the eyes of someone like me, who was just kind of had a tepid relationship with classic rock. They seemed old, to be perfectly honest. Real fucking old. I remember giving my neighbor shit because he liked the Traveling Wilburys. <laughs> I was such a dick. Um, and yet, Roy Orbison, the oldest member of the group, was only 52 at the time. 52! Damn! That doesn't seem old anymore. And Tom Petty was the youngest of the bunch, 37. Uh, Dylan was only 47 at the time that the Wilburys album came out. Wilburys are very relevant to our interests here at Disgraceland. We've got an episode in the archive on Tom Petty, got another episode on George Harrison, and then over in the Blood and the Tracks feed, which is another show that I host, got an entire season dedicated to Bob Dylan. So go check those out. Finally, this day in history, this week in history in Disgraceland, on October 20th, 1977, Leonard Skinner's plane crashed in the Mississippi swamp, killing six of the passengers on board including two of the band's backup singers and one of their guitarists, Steve Gaines, and their lead singer, Ronnie Van Zant. We covered the tragic crash and Leonard Skinner in uh, season 11 of Disgraceland. Here's a clip. Leonard Skinner's drummer, Artemis Pyle, was covered in blood. He dragged his battered body through the swamp. His ribs felt like they were shattered. Just like that Convair CV240 was shattered into God knows how many pieces when it dropped out of the sky and crash landed here. Wherever here was. South Carolina, Mississippi, Louisiana. The plane wasn't in the air too long before it all went to shit. Now that two-bit death trap was smoldering on the swamp floor. The members of Leonard Skinner and their entourage were dying or already dead. When Pyle managed to pull himself out of the destruction, he saw the pilot and the co-pilot still strapped into the cockpit seats, hanging upside down from a tree. You didn't have to look twice to know they were no longer of this earth. But what about everybody else? Pyle had no idea. Ronnie Van Zant, Leonard Skinner's lead singer and resident ass kicker, hated flying. How's that for a bad woman? There were others too. The Convair was 30 years old, it looked like something the fucking Clampets would tool around in. Aerosmith straight up refused when they were offered to fly in it. And just yesterday, flying from Miami to Greenville, South Carolina, a 10-foot fireball shot out of the engine at 12,000 feet in the air. Burned for a minute. Easy. They all saw it. And that was textbook fucking biblical guidance. You get through this flight, you touch down, you kiss the ground, you thank the Lord, and you do not get back on that plane. And why was Leonard Skinner in this position in the first place? They were huge, like blow the Rolling Stones off the stage at Nebworth huge, about to headline Madison Square Garden huge, and as such, they should enjoy the luxuries that a huge band can afford, like their manager. And that fucker was sitting in first class right now, on some commercial flight, while his boys sweated it out in this hunk of junk. What's their name? Everybody knew their name. This wasn't the early 70s anymore. It was October 20th, 1977. Just three days earlier, Leonard Skinner released their fourth studio album, Street Survivors. The critics even liked it, and the fans liked it too. They were a big deal. The pilots, on the other hand, had acted like yesterday's 10-foot fireball wasn't a big deal. Ronnie followed suit. That was probably just his confrontational machismo trumping his aviation phobia. That dude was born fists first. That's what they said, at least. He fought anyone and anything, even his bandmates. Ronnie Van Zant wasn't going to let some puddle jumper scare the bejesus out of him. Besides, the plan was to have the plane serviced when they reached their next destination, Baton Rouge. But 
They never made it to Baton Rouge. Up in the air, the right engine sputtered, and then it just died. All right, to hear more about Ronnie Van Zant in The Boys and Leonard Skinner, go check out that episode from the archive in your feed right now. Or not right now, wait till this episode's over. I'm gonna take a quick break first and then I'll be back in a flash. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, let's talk about some musicians in the news. When it comes to musicians in the news right now, it's all about Tupac right now. Tupac Shakur. I say that. Now watch. This is being recorded and doesn't come out for like five more days. So something will happen that'll make that statement not ring as true. But let's let's deal with the Tupac thing. We're continuing to follow the arrest of Dwayne Davis, however the hell you say, Kefty, Keefty, whatever the hell this dude's middle name is. His arrest in the connection with the murder of Tupac back in 1996. Las Vegas police have shared footage of the arrest. And in the video, Davis, who has reportedly been charged of one count of murder with a gang enhancement. In the video, Davis is asked by a cop what the police got him for. And he says, quote, the biggest case in Las Vegas history. And during small talk in the video with one of the cops, he goes on to say that he isn't worried about the arrest and that he, quote, ain't did shit, unquote. And meanwhile, over on Instagram, relative to this, 50 Cent posted a photo of Tupac and Suge Knight riding in the same car Tupac was killed in. 50 Cent writes, damn, so Pac got lined by brother Love. Lol, time to lawyer up, shit might get sticky. So Love in that post, some have assumed is a reference to Sean Diddy Combs, who is going by Sean Love Combs these days. So I don't know, man, some trolling going on here by 50 Cent or something. Uh, I can keep an eye on this story as it continues to develop. Speaking of Diddy, get ready for a brand new episode on Diddy in Disgraceland later this fall, okay? I gotta mention this next thing because it's so fucking stupid. Coldplay just filed a countersuit against their former manager, Dave Holmes, claiming that he owes him about $17 million in damages and blaming him for the rapid escalation of costs on their last tour. Coldplay, suing their manager for $17 million, blaming him for the rapid escalation of costs on their last tour, saying that their manager, Dave Holmes, quote, failed adequately to supervise and control the tour budget at all times, unquote. Sounds like uh, $11 million was spent on bespoke stage pylons, whatever the hell those are. And $9.7 million I was spent on a visual screen with the wrong dimensions, which meant they weren't able to use this screen for 10 of their shows. So very Stonehenge-y for all you Spinal Tap fans out there. Now, this all comes after Coldplay's manager sued the band last month for $12 million in unpaid commission payments. Accused Coldplay of backing out of a promised contract and of trying to demote him from manager to head of touring. I don't know why I find this interesting. I think because I have friends who are in the touring business and it just sounds like such a shit show. And, you know, for Coldplay at that level, there shouldn't be a shit show. Whatever you think of the band, they should have a well-oiled machine. 
So I don't know what the fuck happened here, but I find it mildly amusing and I thought you guys might as well. Finally, ACDC took the stage for the first time in seven years, a couple of weeks ago at the Power Trip Festival in California. This was the first time Brian Johnson performed with the band since September of 2016. Uh, he had some hearing issues which required him to sit on a bunch of shows while Axl Rose filled in. So my point, ladies and gentlemen, Axl Rose uh, is no longer the singer of ACDC in our long national nightmare is over, to quote Tricky Dick. All right, 617-906-6638 or at Pod on the socials to get at me and let me know anything that you might have on your mind. Pod at gmail.com to send me an email. I answer the emails here in these little mini episodes. And speaking of mini, I got to wrap this up. So let's wrap it up right now. Let's recap. Number one, get ready for two new episodes hitting your feeds this week in Disgraceland, Master Killer on Tuesday and the Jizza on Thursday to finish up season 13 of Disgraceland, all about the Wu-Tang Clan. Number two, I've got questions. I'm always looking for answers. 617-906-6638. I want to know what's on your mind. All right, hit me, discos. Let me know. All right, Master Killer on Tuesday, the Jizza on Thursday. Back on Monday with another one of these advanced mini episodes to kick your week off, and then we're going to get into some spooky Halloween content in the Disgraceland feed. However, right now to land this plane, I am going to read to you the Billboard charts from the week of October 15th, 1977, the week that Leonard Skinner's plane went down in a Mississippi swamp. Number one, You Light Up My Life by Debbie Boone. Last week, three. Peak position, one. Weeks on chart, seven. Number two, Keep It Coming, Love, Casey and the Sunshine Band. Last week, two. Peak position, Two, weeks on chart, 12. Number three, nobody does it better. Carly Simon, last week, four. Peak position, three. Weeks on chart, 13. Number four, that's rock and roll. Sean Cassidy, last week, five. Peak position, four. Weeks on chart, 13. Number five, Star Wars, Cantina, last week. Peak position. Weeks on chart. Six. Boogie nights. Heat wave. Last week. Seven. Peak position. Quit talking and start mixing. Cut it.